Welcome to Using Our Library Voices, a podcast that represents yet another way that Harris County Public Library provides information and resources to enrich lives and strengthen communities through innovative programs and services both within and beyond our walls. My name is Jennifer Finch, branch manager of the Spring Branch Memorial Library, and I will be your host. Today, we will be exploring events that have occurred in libraries of a rather supernatural bent. Listen, if you dare. (laughs) Libraries have always been known as a place that are welcome to visitors, be it alive or not so alive. Between creaking sounds and the wobbly wheel of book carts and just an ever-present silence, at least some of the time. There are many tropes, even in Ghostbusters, of haunted libraries. Listen for some interesting tales of public libraries and their maybe not-quite-alive guests. Our first tale takes place in a library in Ridgeland, Mississippi, where I was a young children's specialist. There had always been stories about our building, but they were generally laughed off. One evening, as I was turning off lights after closing, I saw a figure out of the corner of my eye near the nonfiction stacks. It was about four foot tall, and as soon as I turned, it was gone. Our teen shelver also thought she saw something, So we did one more quick sweep of the building, and then, a little wary, left for the evening. The spirit seemed to have a mischievous bent, as another morning, not a stapler could be found at any of our desks. Then we went to the book drop room and found all of them haphazardly placed on top of a stack of newspapers to be recycled. I left not too long after that incident, but I would suspect that things will continue happening occasionally at that branch. Ellen Calusa will now tell us a story submitted to us from a local Houston area library. I'm a children's librarian, and these events happened in 2019 in a public library in a Houston area suburb. Our main room had a built-in puppet theater that we used several times a week to do puppet shows, so it was part of our story time. It was basically a little closet-type room attached to the meeting room that we entered through a door. It had a large rectangle cutout on the wall, like a window with a ledge to set props on, and an opaque curtain hanging down to hide the puppeteers. We would stand in there and push the puppets out during the curtain to do our shows, while the audience sat on the floor in the meeting room and watched. Occasionally, kids would get up during the show and grab the puppets and try to pull them off our hands, so we reminded them all before each show. Not to do that. One morning, my manager was doing a puppet show and felt a hand grabbing her puppet and tucking on it. She pulled away, but it kept happening. She got annoyed enough that she stopped the show and said loudly that whoever is pulling on her puppet needs to stop and go sit down. She resumed the show, but soon she felt someone tugging and pulling on her puppet again. She stopped the show again and said in an openly irritated voice that no one should be touching the puppets and to please come get the child who's doing it and go sit down. When the show was over, she came out of the puppet theater and was met with a sea of confused faces. The parents in the audience looked at her like she was crazy and told her that no one had gotten up during the puppet show or touched any of the puppets. 
When the program was over, she was visibly upset and told us all what happened. She was confused because she knew what she felt, but she also didn't believe a whole room of people were lying to her either. It didn't make any sense. And she was embarrassed because her storytime families all seemed to think she was being crazy. It happened again the next week too, but she didn't say anything this time because she was afraid they'd think she was losing her marbles. And then, two days later, it happened to me. I was doing a puppet show during my storytime program, and I felt a hand grabbing and tugging on my puppet. I was immediately annoyed because I knew that it was a real hand. There was nothing ghostly about it. It wasn't a tiny tug either. I had to actually forcefully pull my hand back from their grasp to get them to let go. I stopped the show and said loudly, Okay, guys, remember, we don't touch the puppets. But then a few moments later, it happened again. I could feel a hand grabbing the outside of the puppet and holding onto it. I pulled the puppet away again. I didn't say anything this time because I was worried that maybe no one from the audience was doing it. I would get the same confused, alarmed reaction from them that my manager had gotten. When the program was over, I asked my assistant, who'd been in the room with the audience the whole time, if anyone had gotten up during the puppet show and touched the puppets. She said, no, definitely not. I asked if she was 100% sure, and she said yes. She'd been watching the whole time and had been surprised when I said the thing about not touching the puppets in the middle of it, because no one had been doing that. I told her and everyone else what happened. The manager was relieved that it hadn't just been her imagination, but none of us could ever come up with an explanation for it. Other that it must have been a ghost. Some library hauntings can have fairly innocent causes, but still be terrifying, as John Schaefer relates in a tale from our Barbara Bush branch. My name is John Schaefer, and I work for the Barbara Bush branch library for Harris County Public Library. A few years ago, and this is before the pandemic, we were trying to come up with ideas for our fall programming. And somebody suggested that we have a tour of the building uh, because we had a lot of interest in people wanting to know how things work and, you know, what's behind that wall and stuff like that. So uh, I came up with this idea. Uh, we called the name of the tour the Barbara Bush Behind Closed Doors Tour. <laughs> but to this day, that's the best name of a uh, of a program I've ever come up with, the Barbara Bush Behind Closed Doors uh, Tour. So anyway, the way the tour would work, is we had uh, two different groups come in, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and we would walk them around the library and we would open up every single door to every maintenance closet, every uh, uh, air conditioning or elevator service room or somebody's office. And along the way, we would uh, explain things about how the library worked. Like this is how circulation gets your books to you. We ship out, you know, we we pull books off the shelves and we send it blah, 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 blah. And this is a, and we'd also uh, along the way talk a lot about the history of the Barbara Bush uh, branch library. For example, like we say, this uh, line on the wall right here is how high up the water got during Harvey when it flooded. Or let's say we met the branch manager. We'd say, hey, and this is, uh, you know, the branch manager. And here's, you know, a little bit about what she does. Here's her job. And anyway, so uh, it was October when we planned this and we wanted to have kind of a uh, a little bit of a spooky element to it because we were walking into some dark rooms and some mechanical closets. And here's the thing. 
At the Barbara Bush Library, there's actually a third floor that nobody really knows about. Um, it's not much to it. It's just a, a bunch of mechanical equipment and some air conditioning uh, um, equipment. But it is on the third floor. And if the only way to access it is through the uh, fire escape uh, stairwell. So if you're on the second floor, you would go out the stairwell uh, to the fire escape or one of the stairwells. And instead of going down like everybody would do in a fire, you go up a flight of stairs or Actually, it's two flights of stairs. And then up there, there's a, a locked door uh, at the end of a landing, uh, a stairway landing. And that behind that door is, you know, all the equipment. Now, this is an area that nobody ever needs to go. Okay. And, and nobody in the staff, like, I think maybe uh, only half the staff at any time knows that it even exists up there. Uh, only a handful of people have actually ever been behind the door. I had to go up there once to uh, show a, a maintenance guy where the air conditioner, uh, some of the equipment was kept. And that's the only reason I knew about it. We didn't even have the key anymore. But uh, we thought, hey, if we are going to be opening up all the doors, we need to at least let the uh, let people go up the stairs to see where these stairs go. Because people would occasionally, if they would, you know, we had a fire drill, they would ask. So, uh, well, a stairway landing isn't that exciting. But we, I don't know where we came up with the idea, but we thought, what if we put – a tape outline of a body at the top of the landing and then came up with some story. So sure enough, uh, I had one of my coworkers lay on the, uh, the top of the landing and I got some, uh, uh, masking tape and we taped all around her and, you know, which is a, a strange thing to do to any coworker, but to use their body, we taped around her. So it looked, and when she got up, it looked like, you know, there was a, uh, there'd been like a crime scene there. Um, so anyway, we have the tour. The tour is immensely successful, but when it got down to it, the only people who had climbed the stairs, uh, at that point were the, were little kids and they didn't quite get the reference because nobody really does chalk outline or run bodies anymore. That's not something you see, uh, you know, on TV shows like law and order or CSI or anything like that. It's, they just don't do it anymore. I guess that's kind of a, a 1970s, 1980s, uh, a reference the chalk outline or the tape outline of a body. Anyway, the tour was over and, uh, you know, we, uh, I guess we got lazy and we didn't clean it up and, and we kind of forgot about it. And, and then of course the pandemic happens and we closed the building. We're closed for, you know, a couple of years almost. And, you know, time goes by and well, as luck would have it, uh, <laughs> a few months ago, uh, I, we had a leak in the roof and they said, Hey, you know, uh, the maintenance guys are going to be here. John, would you mind, you know, letting them in, showing them where the air conditioning is and I'll show them and I'll take them upstairs. So, I get there and there's these two guys, maintenance guys, and I'm walking up there and we're chit-chatting. As I were going up there, I was thinking to myself, I haven't been up these stairs since the tour. And I wonder if the tape outline is still there. And as I'm walking up the stairs, I think, well, you know, this is just too good of an opportunity to pass up if it's still there. And sure enough, when we get to the top of the stairs, there's this dusty tape outline of a body that looked like it had been there forever. And the guy, one of the guys kind of looks like, what, what's, what's that? And I just, with that, with the most deadpan uh, uh, tone I could use, I said, that's where the librarian was murdered. And then I turned around and walked down the stairs. <laughs> well, the other maintenance guy saw it and he, he didn't want anything to do. He turns around, he follows me down. And the other guy kind of stood there for a while and he hemmed and hawed. And, and by that time I'd gotten down the stairs and we had, to, <laughs> and I left and I went and told my coworkers I'm laughing in the break room. And uh, sure enough, <laughs> my manager comes over about 20 minutes later saying, what did you tell those 
case. And they had come, they'd come down. They were really scared. They didn't know what had happened. They were curious what had happened. And so, uh, anyway, uh, talk about a joke that paid off about four years later. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes that's the way it works out. So if you ever get a chance to go on the Barbara Bush Behind Closed Doors tour, you never know what you might find. Next, Nancy Hu will take us on a trip to Fairmont, Texas. It was getting late at the library in Fairmont, Texas. Trenton, a patron, was done with all of his homework and decided he would look for some books to entertain himself this weekend. He loved a good spooky story, and the library was usually set up in an awesome horror section as Halloween was coming up. Trenton stopped by the station of his favorite library assistant, Rachel, and asked where the spooky section was this year, wanting to see the decorations. Rachel told them, right across the... Rachel told them, right across from the atrium, and hoped they liked it. She said, of course, they had all the heavy hitters like King and Coons, but there were also lots of newer and up-and-coming authors like Booth, Piper, Castro... Hightower. Rachel could talk for hours about their favorite new writers and was always excited to think of the new world's authors would create. Trenton smiled and told her that he would love to chat about those books, but he wanted to see the display. Rachel smiled back and said, of course, make sure to stop by afterwards and let me know what you think. Trenton rushed off eagerly and walked through the atrium, which was by far the most beautiful feature of the Fairmont Branch Library. It was filled with plants that Rachel and other assistants took care of. There were bamboo plants, orchids, even coffee trees with shiny waxy leaves that lit up the room. Plenty of comfortable seating was arranged within the atrium, and it was Trenton's favorite spot to study. As Trenton walked out of the other side of the atrium, the mood shifted. There was a smoke about his feet, and he couldn't quite tell if it was smoke from a smoke machine or something like dry ice. The effect either way was fantastic. The section had purple and black shimmering streamers that dangled from above, and a sign above the entrance that read, Let's Get Spooky, with yellow cat's eyes in the place of the O's. Drenton stopped and looked around to appreciate every detail and thought about how Rachel had really outdone herself this year. He walked into the section, setting off an evil laugh of gothic tones of music. It startled him a bit, and he marveled at the skeleton who was emitting the noise. This side of the atrium was far enough from everyone who was reading or studying that he thought it wouldn't bother anyone. Smirking with delight at the newly festive section, Tretton scanned the titles and authors. There was Tremblay, Armour, Danger Slater, and of course Stephen Graham Jones. There was a whole section with new authors from Reddit's No Sleep, like Raphael Morel, T.W. Grimm, L.P. Hernandez, and C.B. Jones. It was an incredible lineup, and Rachel had obviously been doing her homework. Trenton was delighted and reached for his first pick. Just as he was about to retrieve Night of the Mannequins by C.G.J., he noticed an author that he had never heard of before. The name was G.H. Astley, and his volumes took up an entire row. How had this author flown under Trenton's radar? He was an avid reader, and he especially loved the horror genre. 
he abandoned his original plan and reached for the first title that jumped out at him, How to Disappear by G.H. Astley. The cover was of a man who was disintegrating into the sky. The sky was purple and blue with clouds of lemonly yellow. Trenton felt entranced by the cover and stared into it. Suddenly, it appeared that the clouds were circling right in front of his eyes. The man who was disintegrating slowly disappeared. Trenton dropped the book and looked around. He felt as if someone was playing a trick on him. Seeing that nobody was around, he took a moment to rationalize. He considered that it could have been one of those effects where the book cover shows a slightly different image depending how you look at it. It didn't seem to be one, but he could have been mistaken. At this point, he just needed to believe that it was his own imagination. Hollywood loves the story of the haunted doll. Between Chucky and Annabelle, they have scared thousands upon thousands of people throughout the years. Another not quite as fictional tale is that of Robert the doll who lives in Key West in his own museum where he's treated very much like a king to possibly avoid another tragedy. But we have a little story closer to home where Sana Thalo tells us of a rather interesting doll at the Mod Marks Smith branch. Have you heard about the doll that comes to life? No, I'm not talking about Chucky. Toy Story? I'm talking about a real doll that comes to life at the library. My coworker has this doll that she has had since she was a kid, and I've seen pictures of this doll when it was brand new. Yeah. I mean, it was a cute little doll, whatever. But you can guess that this doll is not so cute anymore. In fact, it's creepy. Hair that needs more than just a brush. Eyes that will stare directly in your soul. And the creepy, creepy, creepy little smile. Yeah, that smile makes you uncomfortable. One morning, I was cleaning out the supply closet when I saw the doll sitting on the edge of the door. I looked straight at it and whispered, You are so creepy, so ugly, and continued about my day. The same evening, I came in to grab something as I had left it in the supply closet, and what do I see? The doll. Yup, the doll. Moved from the original spot and across the room. The doll was placed sitting and hands out like, Boo! I got you. And I was scared. Absolutely scared. I walked out and went up to a coworker and laughed, trying to play it off like, ha ha, that was a funny prank. You really got me. But the joke was on me because no one was laughing and no one had any idea what I was talking about. I remember asking everyone, even the eldest at the library, if they were playing pranks and everyone stared at me dumbfounded. No one moved the doll. Are you sure it even moved? Am I sure it even moved? Yes, I'm positive it moved. Luckily, this doll is no longer at the branch. I told my manager it was either me or the doll, and safe to say, it was not me. Sometimes all you want to do is curl up with a good book during the haunting season, but some books are definitely out of this world. Darcy Cassavant has gathered these alien encounters when you are ready to step away from the haunted mansion into a spaceship.
I'd like to bring attention to some alien romances. I mean, there's a book for everyone, and when it comes to romance, human alien romance does exist. And like any romance, communication between partners is key, especially when it's a close encounter on a strange new world. That was bad. So I'd like to bring your attention. There's a couple of YA novels. One is Melissa Lander's Alienated. And it's about a high school senior who gets a little more than she bargained for when she agrees to participate in Earth's first intergalactic high school exchange program. There's also Jennifer Armentrout's Obsidian, where Katie moves right before her senior year, and it's really boring until a neighbor moves next door. He's really cute, but you know, he's also super annoying. Which, well, he's an alien, and it turns out that he and his sisters have a galaxy of enemies trying to steal their abilities. And, of course, Katie gets caught in the middle. I do have to tell you, though, that a lot of alien romances are super spicy. For example, Ruby Dixon has a series called Ice Planet Barbarians, and Ice Home is a connected series. And it's about women being abducted by aliens, and they're assigned mates, or they're trying to find mates, which is not only difficult, but along with that, they crash on a planet that is colder than an Arctic tundra. Grace Goodwin has an interstellar brides program where instead of being abducted, different female protagonists leave Earth, and it's usually for various reasons, but most of the time it's to protect Earth. And in the process, of course, they find themselves in a society where they are assigned mates. Victoria Aveline has a Clicanian series, and again, it's a, an abduction, um, but they are abducted to a world where there's a there's also Eve Langelis accidental abduction. Megan is drowning because her boyfriend, well, it was an att- it was just an attempted murder, and she sees a light and she is rescued by a space pirate. And the space pirate considers her to be a barbarian because she can't close her big mouth, and then the pirate has to decide whether he's going to kill her, auction her off, or keep her. It's supposed to be very light-hearted and very sexy. But if you're like me and you get overwhelmed by all these spicy authors, I always turn to Nathan Pyle's Strange Planet comic series. No, it's not a romance, but it is sweet and really funny about aliens on a distant world 
who are trying to communicate, just like all the partners in all of the books that I mentioned. So as you read, may you find peace, may you live long, and may you prosper. If you love the Using Our Library Voices podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay safe, and if you see a haunting presence around you, maybe just recommend that they take a trip to the library. We welcome everyone.